Please stand for the reading of today's epistle lesson from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, thank you, Paula, for reading our lesson, and grace and peace to each of you in the name of Christ. Uh, it is so good to be in worship with you, and those of you who are with us online, it's a, a great joy to welcome you all as well. Uh, our fall break uh, folks who are away from us are probably online as well, and we welcome uh, you all. It means a lot to us to be with you together in fellowship today. Uh, I don't know about you, but 40 degrees felt really good to me this morning at 6 a.m., Reminder that it's fall, and it was just wonderful to feel uh, a cooler air today. Uh, we're, we're grateful also, I want to say a word to Dr. Carolyn Hancock, who has been with us at all three services today. No one should have to endure three sermons, but you have done that. Well, two out of three. You're not, you're, we're not through yet, but I hope you'll stay. Uh, Carolyn has been with us all week, uh, as you could see from the video, Samanga uh, from South Africa shared with us important information in this ministry. And Carolyn, we're, we're indebted to you for the relationship, for the partnership. It means so much to us. Uh, 16 years now, we've been working together and uh, sharing in the blessing of these students in Howick, South Africa at three schools. And I also want to thank you all because uh, I think it was last year that you all supported 430 students and teachers in South Africa. It's a life changer. It's a life changer on both sides of that gift. And so we're grateful to you. I think we're, our aim is 455 this year. And so we would welcome your help. And if we don't hear from you, you might just get a call from us. So we hope that you'll join us in that effort as well. To Hugh and Lynn, uh, Tim and Lindsay, and, and you all's family, it's a great joy to have you with us today uh, as well. I do want to mention one other thing before we get to the text, and that is that our governor, uh, Governor Bill Lee, has called our attention to the fact that this Friday, October the 13th, is a day of fasting and prayer. And particularly with the news from the Middle East, uh, this is an important time for us. And we're grateful to our governor for calling us. We don't need our arm twisted when it comes to prayer and fasting. Uh, but October 13th can mean a lot of different things when it's on a Friday. But for this, this time, prayer and fasting, and so we invite you to be a part of that with us. Tom Stegall is with us, who is a retired pastor from Alabama, West Florida. Tom, where are you? Uh, you're in the house somewhere. Where are you? Oh, there you are. We're so glad to have you. Say that again. 
Western Carolina. Okay, thank you. Uh, he is a Nashville native, was here for Overton High School's uh, uh, 50th anniversary. So Tom, we welcome you. It's great to see you and all of you who are with us. If you've been with us the last four or five weeks, you know that we're coming near the end of a series entitled Called Together. We could all share our personal witness, our personal calls to ministry, but what we've been thinking about is what is it that God is calling us as a body, a community, to be about? And we've thought about three things thus far. We thought we are called to worship, to praise God, that praise is our native tongue. We're called to spiritual formation, not just to be a disciple, but to disciple others. And then last week we talked about this call to reconciliation, that we're actually ambassadors, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, of reconciliation. The word means restored friendship, restored harmony. But I want to talk with you just a few minutes this morning about a mutual call to sacrifice. That word in the Greek language in which the New Testament was originally written, the Greek word is thusia, which also means offering or service, ministry. I like to think of sacrifice as something that you give of great value so that something of greater value might be realized. In this text, after Paul covers 11 chapters of theology, where he expounds and explains and exposits God's sacrificial and redemptive work in Christ, he finally turns in chapters 12 through 15 to focus on what sacrifice looks like in our day-to-day walk with God. In Romans 12, the Apostle Paul urges, exhorts believers in Rome to be generous in our lifestyle. And what's interesting to me is the basis of Paul's appeal is not his own pastoral authority, although to be sure, his leadership is indisputed at this point in the first century. But the basis of Paul's appeal is the mercy of God as revealed in the life, death, resurrection of Christ. Because of Christ's sacrifice for us, he's saying it is reasonable, it's rational that we should respond in kind. And I don't have to tell you that Jesus repeatedly said plainly, if any would come after me, let him deny himself, pick up a cross and follow. This is about sacrifice. You know the name Mitch Albom, who wrote a book called Tuesdays with Moray, who said sometimes when you sacrifice something precious, you're not really losing it, you're just passing it on to somebody else. Or how about this one from Aldous Huxley? There's only one effectively redemptive sacrifice, and that is the sacrifice of self-will to make room for the knowledge of God. Sacrifice. Now, it's playoff time, and I don't know if you had a hard time deciding uh, last night, Saturday night, between watching the Braves or watching a football game, but I chose the Braves. 
I'm a huge Braves fan, and I know as much about baseball trivia, probably more about trivia and baseball than I do the Bible. I'm sorry to tell you that, but I do. And one of the most important plays in baseball is the sacrifice. You know what I'm talking about, where a batter is called on to bunt the ball in order to advance the runner. So he essentially gives himself up to place a teammate in scoring position. I don't know if you know the name Eddie Cocky Collins, who played major league ball between 1906 and 1930. He played for the Philadelphia Athletics back then and the Chicago White Sox, 24 years. And Cocky Collins, believe it or not, is the all-time leader in the art of sacrifice. In fact, he bunted in his career 512 times, and if you look at the record, that's twice as many bunts as any other player in the history of the game. I thought when I read this that maybe he just wasn't a good hitter, but that's not true because he had 3,315 base hits in his career, and he played on six World Series championship teams, which for a non-Yankee is amazing. He's a Hall of Famer, but he is best remembered for his willingness to sacrifice. That's what he's known for. I think you could say the same thing for the Apostle Paul. Before his Damascus Road experience, he was all too willing to sacrifice others for his faith. But after Damascus, after meeting Jesus on that road, he was willing to sacrifice himself for others and for his faith. And I don't know what you think about that, but I think that's a pretty big shift. The Apostle Paul is remembered by the church as one who was willing to give himself up in order to advance somebody else. And so what he's doing in chapter 12 is he's exhorting, he's appealing, he's not demanding, but he's urging the flock in Rome to be a living sacrifice. That's interesting that Paul uses the adjective living sacrifice. What's that about? Well, the typical sacrifice in temple worship required the death, the blood of an animal. So if you were seeking forgiveness, if you were seeking to be at one with God, you would make arrangements with the priest at the temple. If you were poor, it would be a turtle dove, might be a lamb, a goat, or a calf that you would offer to God as a sacrifice, consecrating at the altar to the glory of God. Now, there are copious instructions about these kinds of offerings in Leviticus chapters 3 through 9. If you're suffering from insomnia one night, I recommend Leviticus chapters 3 through 9, which gives liturgical guidelines to ensure forgiveness and reconciliation. But by Paul's time, by Paul's day, that kind of sacrifice was no longer necessary because Jesus was believed to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so through his sacrifice on the cross, forgiveness, mercy, new life is now accessible in a new way 
And so Paul's petition in chapter 12 to the church, to his fellow comrades, is that we become a living sacrifice. Now, I want you to notice there is a precise appeal here. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Your bodies. In the Greek psyche, in the Greco-Roman perspective, the body was secondary to the soul and spirit. In fact, the Stoics said in that day, commonly, that the body is the prison house of the soul. Something to be despised, something to be ashamed of. And Lord, forgive us, in our own day, we live in the age of what we call body shaming, where we become so conscious of our physical flaws, we compare and despair, and we become obsessed with our lack of physical perfection. But as children of God, made in the image of God, we as Judeo-Christians do not divide body from soul because the body belongs to God just as much as your soul. Sometimes, and this is true of the clergy, it's, it's truth sometimes of theologians that we mistakenly conclude that faith only matters from the neck up. That is basically just head knowledge. And to be sure, the Shema, Jewish Confession of Faith, calls us to love God with our mind, our heart, our soul. But we're also called to love God with our strength, which implies your body. I think that's the reason that the Apostle Paul in another epistle to the Corinthians refers to our body as a temple. Now listen to what he says. This is 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You know the name Joan Rivers, comedian, who once said, my body is a temple, but my temple needs redecorating. She said, I've had so many facelifts, I think I just need to have a, a body lower next time. And from what I've read, she did a lot of refurbishment. I was talking with our bishop the other night, who's been through this terrible accident for the last year. He's had surgery after surgery, and he said to me, Davis, uh, my temple is actually a fixer-upper at this point. And you understand that if you've ever had a, a knee replacement or a hip replacement. Sometimes when I hear people speak of their body as their own possession to do with as I please, I'm just not sure that's right. I mean, I'll speak for myself. I didn't create this. I've never, made a, I've never met a self-made person. You didn't construct this. You didn't design this. You're a gift. We need to sometimes tell folks, you're not an accident. You're not an oopsie. I think of Psalm 139, 
where the psalmist says, oh God, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Indeed, your eyes beheld my unformed substance. You're a gift. I was walking yesterday at Radnor. I don't know if I've ever mentioned Radnor to you, but Radnor, as I was walking from east to west on the lake trail, I saw her standing at the bridge, the sunlight, she was just basking in the sun, and she, was, she had tied around her what looked like a little baby, a little tiny thing, and I came up to her and I said, uh, how old, two weeks? She said, no, 12 days. I said, boy or girl? She said, boy. I said, what did you name him? She said, Radner. <laughs> I got so excited. I called my wife on the way home and I said, honey, if we ever have another boy, I've got a name. To which she replied, forget it, Abraham. And I said, yes, ma'am, Sarah. Anywho. What I'm trying to tell you is your body is not a jailhouse. It's a temple. For Paul, the word body, soma, means our actual physical phenomenal selves. It means your whole being. Every part of you is a gift. And every part of us is to be an offering that is holy and acceptable to God, you are not your own. I did a wedding last Sunday afternoon. We had the service over at Thompson Station Church, but it wasn't in the sanctuary, it was out in the field. It was a beautiful day. And I pronounced them husband and wife, and as soon as I did, they climbed into a hot air balloon. And literally, this is the picture, I, they sailed into the setting sun. Uh, they were sweet enough to invite me to come along with them, but I reminded them of how Jesus said, Lo, I will be with you always. <laughs> so I didn't go. But in the liturgy, I was really moved when they exchanged the rings and listen what they said to each other. I give you this ring as a sign of my vow and with all that I am, and all that I have, I honor you. That's a big vow. That's a big promise. When you say those words to another human being, I don't have to tell you, you are no longer your own. Two become one. And I think the same kind of thing that happens in the covenant of marriage Covenant in Hebrew means binding together. Same thing happens with Ruthie this morning. In the covenant of holy baptism, she is bound together with God. It happens to us when we profess our faith, when we receive forgiveness and mercy and grace. Your life is repurposed and you are no longer your own. Now, it's no accident 
that whenever we talk about the church, we speak of the church as what? The body of Christ. And you're a part of the body. You may feel like a big toe or a little finger, but you're a part of the body, and so am I. And that means that every one of us have a gift to share, a role to play in the renovation and reconciliation of the world. And no gift is too small, and none is too big, and you cannot outgive God. The scripture is chock full of stories of sacrifice. How about a boy that gives up his lunch, a couple of fish and loaves, and feeds a multitude? What about a woman who gives a jar of perfume? What about a widow that goes to the temple and contributes two copper coins? What about a man named Barnabas in the book of Acts, whose name means encouragement, who gives a tract of land? What about an older woman named Dorcas who just shares her needlework? Or Lydia who extends her hospitality? Or a Roman centurion, Cornelius, who gives his alms? You've got a gift. Your life is not your own. Next Sunday, we're asking every person, every family to share a gift to help renovate and repurpose this temple for the glory of God and future generations. And it's going to take us all. It's going to take every one of us. We've had 70 lead gifts come at 8.2 million, and next week is our Commitment Sunday, and we'll be sharing pledge cards in the context of worship. And we're inviting you to prayerfully consider what God would have you do as a part of the sacrifice. And by the way, we're not asking for donations. We're asking for sacrifice. This is our spiritual worship. Last word. Last week, some of you were here at our 11 o'clock service, and we were privileged to have the Nashville Children's Choir to sing with our chancel choir. And if you were here, I don't have to tell you, it was an incredible intergenerational sacrifice of praise. James Wells, who has been with us for 25 years, directing our children and youth choirs, is one of the co-directors of the Nashville Children's Choir. After they left, James came to me on Tuesday and said, I want to share with you that we always do a kind of a rad with our children. We reflect and adjust. We ask them, what was your experience at Brentwood Church Sunday morning at 11? And he shared this one with me that I want to share with you. A little girl. My family doesn't really go to church, but being here on Sunday felt like community to me. It seemed like everyone loved being together, first of all, and it seemed like everybody loved each other, and maybe that they loved us. I especially, she said, liked the adults in the chancel choir surrounding our choir with their encouragement and their voices. And for an hour, I felt loved. Her words were music to my ears, though I have to say, I'm not surprised 
I've come to expect that of you. I've come to expect that of Christ in you because you know that that's what it means to be the body. Hebrews 13, 15 nails it when the writer says, through Jesus then, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips that confess his name, but not just our lips, our lives to the glory of God. That's your call. That's my call. And when you think about it, sacrifice isn't so much us giving to God. It's us taking our hands off of what already belongs to God and submitting it to him. And that's my prayer for you and for me. With all that I have and all that I am, we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.